Ecclesiastes chapter number 12 and verse number 13. Word of God says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He said, we're going to get right down here where the rubber meets the road. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And if the Lord will help me this morning, I'll do my best to talk to you on the conclusion of the whole matter. But the Word of God says here in verse number 13 of chapter 12, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. If you back up to chapter 1, verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? Here we receive instruction and admonition from the wisest and the wealthiest king that ever lived. Here we receive instruction that the conclusion of the whole matter is to cut away the fat discard the waste and the refuse and deal with the bottom line of what really, really matters. Chapter 12, verse 1, he said, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Solomon's lived. Solomon's gone through a lot of things and he's trying to impart some earthly wisdom. In chapter 12, verse 6, Or ere the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. What in the world is he talking about? He's talking about death. He's talking about when you get to the end of this thing and life's over with, what's going to matter then? Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. By definition, this word vanity means emptiness. Solomon exhorts his son that all man can produce apart from the grace of God, will end in emptiness and vanity. I don't know if you've lived long enough to figure that out yet today, but I spend a lot of time where my in-laws live and some of my family live in Florida. And a lot of elderly people go there to retire. Sister Lori and I, over a course of years, have noticed a particular grocery store there. And we go to that grocery store and Brother Tim, I see all kinds of elderly retired people file in and out of that grocery store. And they're as mean 
and hateful and despicable a humanity as I've ever come across in my life. And Brother Ricky, it's old people that have lived a lifetime chasing an elusive dream, looking for some peace, looking for some hope, looking for some joy. And Brother Tim, they've come to the end of the road. They've retired in a glorious place and everything they thought would bring them peace has brought them nothing. We live in a materialistic world that tries to find peace and tries to find contentment in things. When time on earth is spent, man's wasted precious time. He's wasted resources. He's wasted opportunities to fill the lust of his flesh. And men's work relentlessly to fill a void that's in his soul. And when he reaches the end of his life, that void's no nearer to being full than it was the day started. And when all said and done, children, who cares what kind of earthly accomplishments you made? Who cares what, how much land you had? Who cares what kind of car you drove? Who cares what kind of house you lived in? And when a man lies cold and lifeless in a cold gray metal box... All that he ever worked for in this world cannot bring one minute of peace or one moment of pleasure. A short temporary life has come to an end. Eternity has begun. And now what matters? A short temporary life comes to an end. Eternity begins. And now what matters? I never will forget precious sister Lloyd's daddy. I loved him with all my heart. The last year that he lived, he was one of the dearest friends that I ever had. And he was about to die and he'd come home from the hospital. And I I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was about to go back to the hospital for the last time. He was only days from death. He worked hard. He was an astute man that believed in saving and working and he was thrifty. He could do anything, Brother Tim. And he had built a beautiful home and then he went and built a second beautiful home and rented the other one out and he owned property in a prestigious area. Lived in the Raleigh area. And I never will forget him walking to that back door. Looking out over his estate. All he had worked for, Brother Tim. That 60 years that he had lived and worked. And he looked out that window and said, it ain't worth doodling. I remember that look on his face, Brother Wesley. As he kept saying, it ain't worth doodling. And he realized at 60 years of age, he had wasted 59 of his years, Brother Ricky, on nothing. And what he had and what he owned wouldn't bring him one minute of peace. But I bless the name of Jesus. One year before he died, he found where the peace was. God saved his soul in an old-fashioned altar in a little church across town. And I remember him going to a tent meeting down in Seagrove. He had had a cancer treatment that day. He was burnt up from radiation. Sister Lori took him out back where the men went to meet to pray. And he knelt down on his knees and she helped him down. And I never will forget, Brother Wesley, after prayer was over that night, Sister Lord helping her daddy get up off his knees and he was saying this is where the peace is took nearly 60 years to find it wasted a lifetime but I'm glad he got it Luke chapter 12 verse number 16 the word of God said he spake a parable unto them saying 
The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. There I'll bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Boy, it breaks my heart and I see men and women everywhere I look that'll work hard. They'll do without to lay up treasures and put them in store. They're so proud and they feel so good with a false peace and a false security in their heart of all they've worked for. And one day they're going to die and their sorry youngins are going to spend it on crack cocaine. Brother Mark, what in the name of heaven have they lived for? They threw it all away. Mark 8, 36, and what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There's the story of one of the wealthiest men that ever lived as he lay on his deathbed and he clutched the hand of his physician that was attending his side and he screamed in the ear of that physician, all my possessions, all my possessions, all that I own if he could give me one more day. There ain't one more day when God says it's over, it's over. Solomon said the first thing to do is to fear God. The word fear God means to honor God. It means to reverence God. And finally it means to take God seriously. The whole world knew the flood was coming. But Noah was the only one that took God serious enough to do something about it. Listen to what 1 Peter 3.18 says. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened, that means made alive, by what? The Spirit, capital S, the person of the Holy Ghost, by which... Also, he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. This is a very misunderstood verse of Scripture. Let me give you the doctrinal context and interpretation. He didn't preach to them while they were in prison, Brother Ricky. That wouldn't have done any good. The Word of God said they're in prison right now. But he preached to them before they were in prison. Under the spirits... In prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was in preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. That word of God says that while Noah was building that boat for 120 years, he was a preacher of righteousness. And the Holy Spirit of God came to those men that lived by Noah and said, there's a flood coming, you better get in the boat. 
Brother Ricky, they did not fear God. That means they did not take God serious. And they did not take that flood serious. And I'm convinced this morning that men do not take God serious. Oh, they'll come to church. They'll put some money in the offering plate. They'll even claim to be saved. Sing our songs. Pray our prayers. But you look at their lives. They don't take God serious. Heaven, hell, judgment, eternal damnation. All are eternally established facts that pitiful, prideful, reckless man refuses to take serious. Listen, you're going to walk out of this building one day and go make God in judgment. And I've come to the conclusion this bunch of y'all don't believe that. I believe with all my heart if God's children really believe that, we'd act different. I, I asked God last night, Brother Tim, God, would you please help me take you serious? I mean, it's all right to have a life. God didn't save me to put me in bondage. It's all right to enjoy them old cars. It's all right to enjoy them old motors. It's all right to enjoy a few pleasures in this world. I mean, I ain't no golfer, Brother Tim, and if a man wants to go knock a golf ball around in the field and have a good time, praise God, that's good. I think it's a waste when he could be deer hunting. <laughs> There's some things you can enjoy in this world. But people sure do get their priorities in the wrong place. Yeah, and you can tell by their life. But I, when I look at folks, Miss Nita, I, I don't mind you having pleasure. I don't, God don't mind you going on vacation and having a good time. But I'll tell you what, God's looking to see you're going to put him in front of everything. Yes, Has God got number one priority in your life above and beyond everything? Man who fears God will openly and willingly humble himself before God and before man. Most individuals in this world will go to hell because of P-R-I-D-E, pride. They'll never really be willing to humble themselves before God and they'll never humble themselves in front of another man. Charles G. Finney wrote, Brother Mark, when God had begun to deal with his soul, Charles Finney in the 1800s was an attorney. God began to deal with him about the claims of Christ on his soul. And Charles Finney had a pleasure that he walked in a patch of woods every day just for the leisure of it. And cooler weather had come and the northeastern United States and it wasn't a particularly good time to walk in those woods but Charles Finney under duress and Holy Ghost conviction had purposed in his heart that he told God I'm going to get saved today or die trying well he wasn't in control of that and he didn't get saved that day but he was trying brother Mark and Charles Finney went out in those woods by himself and Charles wrote in one of his journals that he said that as I was kneeling on my knees and he tried to pour his heart out to God, he said my heart would not pray. I could not even pray. And I was just on my knees in those woods. And I became aware of a sound. And he said I raised up and I looked around to see if somebody was coming. And he said in the instant that I did that, 
Charles Finney said, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, Charles, you're full of pride. You're so full of pride that you're trying to do business with a holy God about your eternal soul and you're worried about whether some human man is going to see you on your knees in the woods talking to God. I'm telling you, pride will send multitudes to hell. He said, fear God. And if a man fears God, he'll humble himself before God. He'll humble himself before men. But he said, keep his commandments. I'm going to deal with two very simple things this morning. If you'll deal with these things, it'll cover the whole magnitude of God's commandments. In Acts chapter 17, verse number 30, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. It really doesn't matter what the liberal theologians say this morning. Repentance is still part of salvation. And you ain't going to get around that. I had a precious lady in the state of Wyoming a couple of years ago. Sat on my living room couch. Her husband had been the principal of the Christian school. She had been the church secretary for years. They'd been the pillars in the community for years and she looked at me eyeball to eyeball and said, Preacher Mike, is repentance really necessary for salvation? But you better believe it is. Pride and inarrogance, men refuse to yield the throne of their heart. Man refuses to relinquish control. Man refuses to change or be changed. You see, repentance, by the simplest definition, is change in your direction. This is repentance. And that's all in the world it means. It means you was going one way, and now you've turned around and you're going another way. But not just your actions. Repentance is work of the heart. And you see, what happens in your heart dictates your actions. So when your heart gets changed, your direction gets changed. And the problem I perceive in the Baptist church is a lot of people change their actions, but they never change their heart. And if the heart don't get changed, your actions won't last very long. That's why a whole lot of folks are in and out and kick out of the traces, Brother Mark, because they change some things about their actions. But they never change their attitude. They can limp along for a little while. With the word of God said in 2 Corinthians 7.10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. You see, there's a whole lot of folks in this world get caught in their sin and they're real sorry. I mean, they're broken hearted. They'll weep tears. They'll have to go to the doctor and get nerve pills, Brother Ricky. Because they're sorry. That don't mean you've repented. And you know how I know folks ain't repented? They'll stand up and tell the church, I'm so sorry. Oh, I've messed everything up and I'm so sorry. And by the time we've said to dismiss and pray, they've done back in their sin again. Guess what? No repentance. They ain't repented. I see folks all the time say they've repented. I see folks mess around on their spouse. And I've seen this with women as much as I have with men. I've, I, there's, a, there's a lady that I know very well right now, and I use that term lady very loosely. She'll run off and leave her husband, run off and shack up with some other man, get caught with some other man, the whole family fly apart. 
And she'd be squalling and crying and claiming having a nervous breakdown, having the doctors come and taking all kinds of pills. And as soon as everything levels out and things get to going good again, guess what? There's some other fella comes by and sparks her eye. She's off after him. Brother Mark, ain't never been no repentance. But the Word of God said, Godly sorrow worketh repentance, Brother Tim. And that's what happened to me when I got saved. God got to give me some godly sorrow. God got to breaking me down like a double-barrel shotgun. And I, I hadn't got caught in nothing, Brother Mark. I wasn't caught. There's a whole lot of things I had hid, Brother Jesse, but I wasn't caught. But God knew, and He's letting me know He knew. And I guess I really was caught just by the one that mattered. And God began to deal with my heart, and I was in trouble. And God worked that in my heart. Now, here's repentance. You can't do it by yourself. You can't repent by your. I didn't try that. I did that a whole lot of times. It worked for a little while, but it wasn't repentance. It was worldly sorrow. It wasn't godly sorrow. But you know what happened when God worked godly sorrow in my heart? I had to let him do that. I had to allow him to do that. That's why in John chapter 5, the Lord Jesus looked at that crippled man by the pool of Bethesda and said, Wilt thou be made whole? Jesus, he just simply said, I can fix you if you're willing to let me. There's not a man or woman in this room today that God is not able to fix. The deepest, darkest, secret problem you've got in the very recesses of your soul, God can fix right now. The question is, are you willing to let him? And he said, keep my commandments. And one of God's commandments is to repent. One of God's commandments is faith in Jesus Christ. The word faith, by definition, means to trust. And it means to commit yourself. There was a story that they used to tell about a man who was walking on a tightrope over Niagara Falls. And that man would walk on that tightrope and he would put on a show and people would cheer and, and cry and yell and scream his name. And he'd take a little wheelbarrow and he'd push out on that tightrope and do a little jig and a little dance on that tightrope with that wheelbarrow. And finally, some man came to him after a performance and said, I'm so convinced you're the greatest tightrope walker that's ever lived. He said, I believe you could do anything on that tightrope. That man said, well, I've got this wheelbarrow. Would you be willing to get in it? Well, I guess we're fixing to find out how much he really believes in Brother Ricky. Now, Jesus has got a real big wheelbarrow. The question is, have you got enough trust in him to get in it? I don't trust that fellow over Niagara Falls. <laughs> no, I ain't committed. No, I ain't getting in his wheelbarrow. My brother Tim, nearly 20 years ago, Jesus came by with open arms. And he said, are you willing to trust me? Miss Heather, I was willing to trust him enough. I run to him. And when I run to him, I give up everything, Miss Nita. I left everything I'd ever held to back behind me. And I got a hold of him. Hey, listen, you ain't getting in Jesus' wheelbarrow with all your mess. You ain't going to keep all your mess and get in his wheelbarrow. It's just you and you alone. And it takes faith toward Christ. And most men will never know a childlike faith and trust in Christ because most men are too proud to ever admit they got a need. You see, a child is totally 100% dependent on someone else to meet even their simplest, most basic needs. But a man will go to hell because he'll ever, never, never acknowledge the fact that he's even got a need. 
And if a man did have a need, he'd say, that's all right, God, I'll take care of this myself. In Matthew 18, 3, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted, become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Back in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. But it didn't stop there. He said, for God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Solomon was old. Solomon was about to die. And Solomon had played the fool for the approval of his idolatrous wives. Solomon had 300 wives and 400 concubines. Most of those were marriages of convenience that gave him favor with kings and nobles and other lands and other places, Brother Mark. And he married a bunch of heathen women. And Solomon was willing to make his wives happy before making God happy. Let me tell you what, friend. He that follows Jesus has to take up his cross and follow him. It don't matter if you've got to leave your family behind. There's been a whole lot of folks that I had to determine in my heart that if they're going to go with God, good, Brother Ricky. But if they ain't going to go with God, I'm going to go on without them because I ain't got a choice. I'm going to have to go with God. Solomon was old and about to die. Solomon had messed up. And Solomon was now very conscious of the fact that he was about to meet a holy God in judgment. And he was trying to tell his son, Son, while you're young, while you've got life ahead of you, while you've got years ahead of you, you better get this thing straightened out right now because i got some things in my life that I ain't looking forward to meeting God in judgment with. You can save yourself those scars. Psalm 111, verse number 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments, his praise endureth forever. Solomon's daddy wrote in Psalm 51, verse 17, that the sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. You know something that troubles me in my soul as I look at men and women that play the game? I'm not talking about people who are really looking for help. I'm talking about people that's playing on the edges of religion, that's pretending everything's all right. They're so prideful. They're so proud in their wicked heart that they're not going to break down before God or anybody else and even admit they've got a problem. They live in denial. You know what really bothers me, Brother Tim? What's it going to take? What's it going to take to ever break them to the point where they're so empty they're willing to come to Christ? What's it going to take? Will it be their health? Will they have to follow their children or their grandchildren to a graveyard somewhere? Are they going to have to pick up their children out of some rehab clinic somewhere? What, what is it exactly they're going to have to go through that ever really breaks them to the point where they're willing to say, I have carried this thing as long as I can carry it, and God, I ain't fighting against you anymore. I wonder what it'll take for some of you this morning to ever get to the place where you could ever be humble before God. Let me give you some good advice this morning. God knows how to humble you. Hey, don't you worry about that. God knew how to humble me, Brother Tim. There ain't never lived a more pride-filled man than I was. 
Son, I could strut sitting down. I thought I was somebody going somewhere, but God knew my number, Miss Nita, and he knew how to break me down. He knows how to break you down, and I sure hope he does. But God don't have to fool you. All All God has to do is give you that sweet, simple, little, still, small voice of invitation. You turn that down, you're damned. See, God's real merciful to a lot of people. In a lot of trying struggles and circumstances in their life, God is so sweet, Miss Mindy, that God uses tragedy in some people's life to get their attention. Now, I know there's some people that are so carnal that they say, well, that's just jailhouse religion, you know. That's just, they got in trouble, run to God. Well, hallelujah, if I'm in trouble, that's what a better place to run to. Because the Word of God teaches us that He gave the Valley of Acor for a door of hope. That means trouble, Brother Ricky. In a valley of trouble, God can give you hope. There's some of you sitting right here this morning, saved, born of the Spirit of God, because you faced one of the greatest tragedies in your life, and God knocked the props out from under you and showed you you wasn't really nearly as big as you thought you was. You really didn't have a grip on things like you thought you did. And God let you know that your world was spinning out of control. God let you know if you didn't get to Him, you're just going to crash and burn. Ain't that right? Ain't that right? What a better time to run to Jesus. But it breaks my heart, Brother Tim. It breaks my heart when I look around and I see people go through tragedy after tragedy and heartache after heartache and they nearly lose their mind and they nearly lose their sanity, but they still don't have enough senses to run to Jesus. If I wanted something from God, you know what I'd do? I'd humble myself and I'd ask him. If I thought for a minute this morning I was lost and I was sitting back there in the back, if I thought for a second, Miss Linda, I was lost, I'd crawl on my hands and knees all the way down this floor and I'd lay down in front of every one of you. It wouldn't bother me a bit, Brother Tim, because y'all ain't the ones I'm going to be judged by one day. I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ, and I'm going to have to deal before God with what I did with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you what, men are going to go to hell because of their pride. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. God will resist you in your pride. Let me ask you a question this morning. I just want to know. I want you to ponder this in your heart. The head's bowed nice closed. I'm going to ask you a real simple question. I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want you to answer. But I want you to listen intently, quietly, reverently. What's God showed you that you're too proud to deal with? What's God showed you in your heart this morning that you're just too stinking proud? To humble yourself and let God fix for you. Let me ask you another question. What has God not told you? Because God knows you're too proud to ever humble yourself before Him. Some of you say you're looking for answers, but I'm not sure you're looking real hard. 
God ain't giving you an answer because God knows when He tells you, you ain't going to respond. Now, what's God told you you're afraid to deal with? Or what's God refused to tell you because He knows you won't deal with it? And if that's where you are this morning, I'd humble myself before God. And I'd run to Him with everything I had in me. And I'd just say, God, you're going to have to help me. God, you're going to have to help me. I'm telling you this morning, there's folks sitting on the sound of my voice, you're lost. And you're not really fooling anybody. I don't care. I don't care what kind of facade you've put up. I don't care what kind of things you've said and clever things you've done and little testimonies you've made and professions you've made. You're still just as L-O-S-T as you was when you started and you're really not fooling anybody. You're trying to fool yourself. Living in denial, not even dealing with the real fact. And Solomon said, let's get down to the nitty gritty. Do you fear God? I mean, do you really reverence God enough that you're willing to humble yourself before God? I don't talk about humbling yourself before the preacher. I don't mean nothing. Hey, listen, what I think really don't matter this morning. It's God you're going to stand before. He said, keep His commandments. That means you're going to have to be willing to let God help you repent. That means you're going to have to be willing. You know why I don't have a problem this morning with the sins I used to have a problem with? Because I allowed God to change my mind about my sin. You know why I don't have a problem tithing? You know why I don't have a problem with church attendance? You know why I don't have a problem with trying to fellowship with my Savior? Because I let God change my mind about those things. You ever let God change your mind about the things that haunt you in your heart? Because if you've never had a change of heart, you've never repented. You've never been born of the Spirit of God.